warm welcome to any guests here this morning. We're very glad you're worshiping with us. We are in uh, the fourth week of a seven-part series entitled Seeing is Believing. Today's message is from Feeding the 5,000 in the sixth chapter of John, verses 5 through 14. The challenge for today, seeing is believing or believing is seeing. And seeing that today's miracle story is about food made me think back about seven years ago when our daughter Becky was preparing pancakes for her sons. Ben was about eight and Brady was about six. And the boys began to argue over who was going to get the first pancake. <laughs> so mom saw the opportunity for a moral <laughs> lesson in this instance. If Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. And Ben looked over at his younger brother and said, Brady, you be Jesus. <laughs> We'll see some of that this, today, this morning. Aha! <laughs> Ellie, Ellie is on board. What I'd like to do this morning is ask that we place ourselves in one or any number of the participants in this well-known miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 to see what our reaction might be as it unfolds to see how this puzzle was put together. What has miraculously unfolded so far in this sermon series, Pastor Brian began in the second chapter of John by saying he wrote his Gospels so that we might believe, and he relays the evidence, the evidence of our faith, the evidence of Jesus' life, so that we may believe and have life in his great name. Jesus' first miracle, changing the water into wine. The six stone jars were symbolic of the Old Testament ceremonial washing. But Jesus was here to show us something new. At this wedding feast, he is saying there is a better feast waiting, where there is more than enough, like his life. And John says, I saw it with my own eyes. One of the reasons this was the first miracle of Jesus, when we look into the Old Testament, we look to see Jesus and bring him out of it. Moses' first miracle was changing the water of the Nile River to blood, resulting in death. Jesus changed water into wine, the best wine, resulting in life and celebration. In Luke 22:20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. All need to respond, and all are invited. Then Jeff spoke to us about the messianic miracle by Jesus of healing the son of a royal official. 
and that was in John 4, transcending time and space. The official had enough faith to believe that Jesus would heal his son just by his distant word. What we believe in the present is determined in the past. Miracles can change what we think in the future. His own daughter Emerson is living proof of that. Do you believe in miracles? Are they coincidences or God incidents? Last week, Mr. Petrillo relayed the message in John 5 of the man who was an invalid for 38 years, and Jesus asked him if he wanted to get well. There's no one here to help me into the pool, the man said. Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. He did and was healed. How do we respond? Jesus makes us well, whether an act of providence or a miracle, a supernatural event where God steps in to serve his purpose, to fulfill prophecy that forms the basis of our faith. God is a God of miracles. Unbelievers who reject Jesus will be in for a rude awakening and is our challenge to help awaken them to Christ. Plant the seeds of the gospel of salvation and let the Holy Spirit take over. Creation itself is a miracle for all to see and believe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you're helping us to see and believe, and when we believe, we see the truth of the gospel revealed. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Holy Spirit, fill us this morning and commit us to action to serve you in whatever capacity we can. For your Son's sake, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The gospel text for today is from John 6, verses 5 through 14. And out of respect for the gospel, could we please stand, those who are able. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Here ends the reading of the gospel. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat>
Well, we've looked at one way Jesus is brought out of the Old Testament. Foreshadowing of this miracle of feeding the 5,000 took place in a couple more instances in 2 Kings in the fourth chapter. The multiplication of the widow's olive oil so she could pay off debt and live on the surplus. The prophet Elisha was overseeing these miracles of the Lord. There was also a feeding of a hundred in verses 42 to 44. A man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Before this event, this miracle of feeding the 5,000 took place, the disciples had just returned, as Mark tells it. Jesus had called the 12 to him and sent them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread. I repeat, no bread. No bag. No money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. On their return, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught, a re-entry or debriefing of their two-by-two experiences. For those who have been on mission or mission trips, and Jan, you can testify, this can be very emotional. They did not even have a chance to eat. So the disciples are hungry. At about the same time, Jesus had been informed that John the Baptist had just been killed by King Herod. Matthew says, John the Baptist's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Everyone was stunned by this tragedy by this enormous loss, including Jesus, who had grown up with him, who had been baptized by John. They were relatives, only six months apart. Jesus wanted to get away by himself, to grieve, to pray, to remember. He knew his time was drawing close, implied by John in chapter 6, the fourth verse. The Jewish Passover festival was near. God's mighty redemption of his people by substituting a spotless lamb for the sins of the world. Yet, Jesus did not dwell on his grief or his anxiety. Instead, he returned to the ministry he came to do. John wrote his Gospels about 20 years after the other Gospels had been written. This miracle had a huge impact on the Gospel writers. 
other than the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And I'd like to share their comments and insights that include what was happening for most of that day. John's Gospel begins the chapter by saying, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they had previously seen the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. In Mark, Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, lost and confused about life. Jesus was also concerned for their spiritual feeding, for their spiritual hungers inside. By teaching them, Jesus was a kind and loving shepherd who took care of them. So he began teaching them many things. In Luke's account, he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And here I'll turn around for a second. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's about seven miles wide and about 13 miles long. It is 700 feet below sea level. Now Capernaum was situated about here. This was the headquarters for Jesus. And the, uh, they had sailed over to Bethsaida, which Luke tells us was where this took place. This is from Bethsaida, looking onto the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> so we can still see that this area is still green. There was plenty of grass, and uh, the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and heal those who needed healing. Matthew said, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He went right to work. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke share some lessons that we can apply in our own lives, telling us that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. He welcomed them. He taught them about the kingdom of God and heal those who needed healing. We can pray for healing for ourselves and for others. We're not sure whether they got any rest. Returning to today's gospel, John says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, to strengthen his faith for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus knew the future. The three other Gospels are right in line with each other. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples, all 12 by Luke's account, came to him. 
This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Luke, Luke added, and find lodging, but there was no Travago back then. The reply from Jesus was, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, what's your reaction if you were in that place? Are you serious? This was almost like the humor I tried to start out with this morning. And probably my reaction too. And maybe you're thinking the same way. Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip started assessing the probable cost. Jesus wanted to teach him that financial resources are not the most important ones. In Mark, they, the other disciples, said to him, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? We can limit what God does in us by assuming what is and is not possible. The practical solution was to let them go home. Then Jesus asks, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Search the crowd, he tells us. And what did they come back with? What did they find out from this crowd of so many, with Luke also saying about 5,000 men were there? So another of his disciples, Andrew, comes up after this and spoke up and says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. I mean, these might have been as small as sardines. And, these, and the loaves of bread were very small. And this was the boy's lunch. But how far will they go among so many? Now, there is a lot of faith. The disciples had no faith in the Lord for their source of supply. They looked at what they had, or in this case, what they did not have. They knew it was inadequate, and so their conclusion was there was nothing they could do. And then John, a few chapters later, quoting Jesus, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. They were afraid at what it might cost them. What should have been the response? And ours, in an impossible situation. How about something as simple as, you know, Lord. The disciples had just come back from their mission trip, empowered by Jesus to drive out demons and heal people, and suddenly they're helpless. Remember, they took no bread. Is there a lesson? We have to depend on Jesus for all things. The loaves were small, the fish were small, and their faith was very, very little. In Genesis 18, 14, the Lord, asking Abraham about Sarah having a child at the age of 90, is anything too hard for the Lord the disciples, after hearing Jesus talk about the rich man, asked, who then can be saved? Jesus, in Matthew 19, 26, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
in Luke, the first chapter, the angel Gabriel, announcing the conceptions of John the Baptist and Jesus, proclaimed, for nothing will be impossible with God. Jesus said, bring them here to me. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 were there. Mark says they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Luke says they were told to have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So 100 groups of 50 was 5,000. Jesus was preparing them for a miracle. All were hungry. He didn't want chaos, disorder, shoving, or pushing. So he directed them to, all, to have all the people sit down in groups. Our God is the God of order. The original word used by Mark represents them as divided like beds of flowers with walks between so that as a gardener can go up and down and water all the plants, so the waiters, the disciples, at the feast could conveniently give every man his share of bread and his piece of fish or fishes without confusion thus directing the assembly of 5,000 that John says were there, agreeing with Luke, Mark, and Matthew. Matthew, however, adds, besides women and children. The ESV Bible and some scholars believe that the crowd could have been between 15 and 20,000 people. More groups, so the women and children could receive their share. And Luke said, everyone sat down. I think Luke witnessed real power here in Jesus' presence. Much like later would be displayed in Jesus' arrest in John 18. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. The power of prayer was about to be delivered. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Matthew, Mark, and Luke taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. Jesus kept on giving. He kept on creating, filling wicker baskets as the disciples went down the rows, then came back to him for a refill. We always need to come back to Jesus for a fresh supply and he always gives us more than enough. It is noteworthy that Jesus fed the people through the use of the boy, the food he shared, and his disciples. They participated. Most of his miracles were done directly with the elements on hand or through the people themselves. He could have simply snapped his fingers and caused everyone present to have a meal, but he didn't. Instead, he gave to his disciples to distribute to the people. 
In this way, the disciples had to trust the Lord for everything they passed out. They could only give as much as they received. Philip, Andrew, and the rest were put in a position of total dependence upon the Lord for their supply. God still uses us the same way today, and he is still our supply. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. How do you feel after a Thanksgiving meal? Feeding the 5,000 with just five loaves of bread and two fish, there ended up being more than enough for everyone. And they ended up with more than they had at the start. Pick up the pieces, the fragments, so none may be wasted or lost, equates to fragmented people who need to be saved. They all ate and were satisfied, and the 12 disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Their hunger was also met that day. This miracle is also a great reminder that nothing we face on earth is too big. Nothing too big for God. Even standing with the King of Kings, Christ's disciples were worried that thousands of people would go hungry. No matter what we face, we must remember and pray for awareness that God is larger still. This miraculous provision of food reveals the Lord as the source of life, the true bread of life. Remember at the start of this series, Pastor asked, if we could only see a miracle, then we would believe. Well, Philip and Andrew seem to have forgotten all the miracles Jesus had performed before. When we face a crisis in our lives, do we recall how God helped us in the past? After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So no one who was fed that day would have missed the significance of what Jesus did. They would have thought back to the wanderings of the people of Israel in the wilderness when they were hungry and God sent manna to feed them. It almost looked like that outside this morning. They associated Jesus with Moses as the prophet who is to come into the world. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. Jesus is our manna today. In this story, Jesus was pleased with the gift and proceeded to use it. The boy didn't hold any back for himself or any for his family. What would his mother think of this? Did she make or give him the family's lunch to give to Jesus? We don't know. The providence of God in bringing the boy there was met. The right place at the right time and all received the freshest bread and fish they had ever eaten. The boy got to see his gift blessed by Jesus and the satisfaction and joy of knowing and seeing how that gift was used. It's not the size or value of the gift that's important, 
but the love and spontaneity with which it's given. Jesus came to fill their emptiness with himself. God supplies all our needs and more. Remember how Jesus was impressed by the widow's two mites in the collection basket? Everything she had. He openly marveled at the rich faith attached to her small gift. Any amount of human striving could not have fed the thousands that day. Jesus bypassed human effort to show that all good things come from him, not man's effort. God involves us, but he is the one who equips the work that yields more than enough by his grace. We come to faith here to learn, to gain support in our lives, to worship and enliven our spirits. Together here we touch and taste the love of God. When we come to the altar and share in the eating of the bread and drinking of the wine, a feeding of the 50 to 75, this simple act has the power to change who we are from the very core of our souls. It took a little while, but the disciples eventually put their trust and faith in Jesus after thinking, are you serious? They were honored to serve. Jesus is our provider for all we need, and more than enough when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, for his is the kingdom of God. Am I serious? Yes, I am. Seeing is believing. And when we believe, we will see Jesus face to face. Amen. I would like to share a prayer from Pastor Charles H. Spurgeon. He was an evangelist from England around 1875. He wrote over 3,500 sermons in an earthly life that ended at the age of 57. If the entire human race that dwells upon the face of the earth should be moved to come crowding around the Savior, there would be no fear of exhausting his power to save. We should not even have to hesitate for a moment, but just stand and preach the gospel to every creature, still using, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same cry, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Come then, weary, hungry sinner. You have nothing to do but to take Christ. You have not to bake the bread or broil the fish. The bread and fish are broken, blessed and ready. Open your mouth and enjoy the food. Faith to receive what Christ provides is all that is needed, even more than enough. Lord, in your mercy.